Okay, so welcome back to yet another episode of the Randin Podcast. It's episode seven, yay! Yay! But wait, there's more. Well, hopefully, hopefully that, that's not the end of it. This uh, is true. So it's episode seven. It's time for another mini-sode. You may hear cats running around because one of them definitely sundowns and is now hyperactive. And often says meow. <laughs> All right. No, well, this was your idea, so why don't you do what you want to do? Well, today's mini-sode is going to be cool stuff about the brain. Um, but we're gonna, some... but, but we got to do the preface to what the actual mini so thing is. It's like, it's random facts. So we're going to call it, did you know? This is true. Did you know <laughs> about the brain? <laughs> <laughs> and there'll be some interesting facts. Been having to be reading around random brain related stuff. Wait, wait, wait. I'm going to put a timer on because like last time I think we went for an hour. Uh, this is going to be 10 minutes tops. <laughs> we can do okay, it. Okay, okay. Are we doing 10 minutes each or 5 minutes each? Let's try for 5 minutes with a few minutes of questions. Question? Okay, fine. So save and start. It's 5 and a half minutes on the clock. Tick-tock. Uh, one side thing. So if you're trying to leave feedback on anchor.fm <laughs> and are struggling to leave audio feedback, uh, don't worry. Send us an email at least. Yes. <laughs> but the anchor at... one is for audio. <laughs> But yeah, yeah, yeah. But please leave us a voicemail. I really want to <laughs> add one. So it's just like, you can type in, it'll ask you to register an email address. Uh, don't worry, just put in anything fake you want. But it'll let, let you record a voicemail. Otherwise, it's podcast at photosbyraffi.com. Yeah, that's I the one. Think that's podcast the one. at photosbyraffi.com. Yeah. Yes. So anyway, on with the show. With, oh, well, that was good. That was actually about 30 seconds. Oh, yeah. Like and subscribe and all that stuff. Yes, yeah, click yes. the buttons. Um, yes. Anyway. My favorite podcast app. <laughs> So the first one I'm going to talk about is I learned all about the intertwining of smell, memory, and emotion. And I came across this because I was reading about the COVID stuff and about, oh yeah, the whole smell loss thing. Yeah. And I was like, hmm, I wonder what random studies they're doing on this. Unfortunately, none particularly, not a whole heap on this at the moment. But one of the things that uh, was a random sort of, you know, deep dive dive into Wikipedia slash reading was the fact that smell is actually very connected to memory and also to emotion so the that's why bad bo people are well remembered exactly think about it and you're like bam i remember the other smelly curry guy (laughs) (laughs) so the olfactory gland which is the or the smelling centers in your nose which uh, have nerves that send back the signal i.e the olfactory nerves um they send their signals back to a processing center. And one of the interesting things is that it's one of the only senses where it doesn't have to pass through a whole bunch of other processing in the brain before it gets to certain other parts of the brain. So for example- okay, that makes no sense. Like as in, what, what does that mean? If you see something, yeah. then the, uh, what you see gets interpreted by uh, other clever higher up parts of the brain into- What do you mean? Basically, it's like it's pre-processed, so it gets pre-digested a bit, and then yeah, well done for see. like get rid of the jargon. <laughs> so I think what you're saying is whole bunch of things that you're looking at, and it gets converted into simpler and simpler forms. Like yeah, as in it's so it chunked. needs yeah, it needs more processing by your brain before you actually deal with said information. Okay, so is, would it be right in saying like, say we're looking at a room at the moment, so it would be like, hey, there's different bits of info like color, shapes, yeah. texture. 
and then each one gets broken down and that gets reinterpreted. Is that kind of what you're saying? Yeah. So for example, with uh, vision, it gets broken down into the various shapes, contrast areas, and then what you interpret is those shapes yeah, and contrast things, not directly what you see. Um, cool. And so there's a little bit more. And then eventually emotion even plays into it, but it's a much later step in the vision processing. Like as in, you eventually go, oh, shit, that's a ghost. I mean, shit. Exactly. I mean, and now I'm scared. Yeah. Uh, whereas with uh, smell, that connects into the part of the brain that is associated with memory called the temporal. It bypasses a whole bunch of other areas of the brain which other senses go through, and it goes directly there. So it doesn't need pre-processing. No, it kind of okay. ends up there straight away. Sweet. And also, uh, the emotion centers of brain, also similar sort of connection. The easiest way to tell that is sometimes, you know, when you smell something and you're like, that takes me back to this exact memory. Actually, I was this just more time. thinking, it's like, you remember you smell it and you're like, I'm hungry. <laughs> <laughs> that too. <laughs> but it's one of the senses where that feeling tends to get evoked a lot more. So unfortunately, I didn't find any more research about COVID-related ones, but that's what I was interested yeah, no. to see what would come next. What happens to people who lose their smell? Um, because supposedly other people that lose their sense of smell, that is something noticed. Um, and I was kind of curious to see, is that something happened? So if you've had COVID and you've lost your sense of smell, uh, leave us a voicemail. <laughs> <laughs> we'll keep I it anonymous. <laughs> uh, but yeah, well, actually, that'd be interesting to see. I mean, we had, you know, one person. Yeah. So, if you're listening... <laughs> I don't know. Does he listen? I don't know. You should send I'll it, send to, it him, to him. <laughs> and then you should get him to leave us a voicemail. We're really after voicemails. This is true. Yeah. Okay. Um, random brain things. So, mine's actually a two-parter, just because... Oh, actually, let me just reset the timer. We actually made it with 30 seconds to spare. Boom. Boom. Was that interesting, by the way? Like, if you guys like it, feedback. Come on. Like, this, is, this whole segment is like trying out different ideas to see what sticks. But random brain facts was uh, pretty cool. Let me reset and start. So my one, I just went with, um, I haven't actually read one of the articles, which is about how anesthesia affects brains. Um, that one's a wide one, which I'll, hmm. maybe for the next segment. Um, so everyone knows that the brain is like a giant blob that has a lot of electrical signals and those electrical signals determine like what parts of the brain are active and that's just how it works it's just thousands and thousands of little wires essentially connected to each other and the complexity of it seems to give rise to consciousness motor function like moving arms and legs and everything that you've talked about so um elon musk has obviously been in the news a lot because he's elon musk um so one of the interesting things is if you can, so there was a guy ages and ages ago, uh, I'll link the YouTube video, who kind of just was like, ah, I wonder what the brain sounds like. So he just stuck electrodes in and just hooked it up to a speaker and it produced a buzz. And he was like, oh, cool, look, that's the sound of the brain. Eventually this guy went on to actually interpret some of the, like you stick it onto a, a motor with a piece of paper and you get the squiggly lines like an ECG. And eventually he went from interpreting squiggly lines to different versions of squiggly lines to going, hey, that seems to move when the people move their arms. So he constructed this thing, which Elon Musk has recently demoed with the Neuralink stuff, where you can have like a coin sized electrode stuck in the brain and you can make a monkey think to move the arm without actually moving it. And it'll move like a computer joystick um, and basically give the monkey a reward. So you can basically train them to play Pong without moving their arms. So essentially, and moving an imaginary limb almost, uh, which is pretty darn cool, right? Like this guy's video, which was from 10 plus years ago, so this is the early science on it, was a monkey wearing essentially looks like a colander on his head. Um, 
and doing the stuff button. He went a step further and he was able to pass certain stimuli back in. So it's almost like, so up until this point, it's brain reading machine, reads brain signals, does something on a computer. But then it's like, so the demo he had was, here's a ball, three balls look identical in virtual reality. So the monkey was wearing VR goggles and it has to rub its hand on one of the balls. And one of them will produce a sensation, like, it, like I don't know what the sensation's like, but one of them will be different even though they look the same in VR. And so if it keeps on rubbing the one that's special, it gets its, uh, the reward. So it was as it was doing that, I think it was like a little pulse of electricity or something. So it felt something, it was different to the other ones and it kept on picking the right one. So it was actually feedback looping in. So it's like a virtual sense, if you like, like a virtual touch or a virtual, like, I don't know what it feels so like. It'd be like, like playing a VR game, but if you touch the table, you get a sensation of some sort. Like yeah. yeah. So, and as you develop that further, you would be able to recreate, like, because I mean, at the end of the day, electrical impulses are all that's actually happening in your brain to give you the experience. Um, so that was fact number one the fact that, you know, we're kind of only a few steps away from the matrix. Um, but it leads into where we're currently at in terms of clinical application. And one of the things we use is called a BIS monitor. And BIS stands for bispectral index. What that means, I have no idea. But basically what it is, is a little strip you put on your forehead when someone's asleep under an anesthetic. And the reason you do that is because it's incredibly rare that people wake up under an anesthetic, but it does happen. And if you look at what most people complain about, it's the fact that they're paralyzed and they can feel themselves being operated on, but usually they've actually got pain relief on board. It's actually not about the soreness, it's more just they can't move and that's scary. Mm. Um, so what BIS is meant to do is look at all the squiggly lines of the EEG monitor, run some sort of black box algorithm and give you a number. And basically at 60 and higher, you're more than likely to be awake and 60 and lower, you're kind of not, right? So basically when you run that during an anesthetic, it gives you a little number with a few little other squiggly bits to say, hey, is the signal good or bad? Uh, or getting any interference. Uh, but by and large, you look at the number because we're not good at doing the, like some physicians are very good at being able to read EEGs, we're not. So it, you just follow the number, essentially. And I clearly don't let Well, I mean, the algorithm was like, this is 10 years ago when <laughs> pre-AI being a thing. Yeah, so there's probably better versions coming out. Um, so one of the interesting things about it is that, and this is where, you know, uh, if you keep looking at uh, rubbish numbers, you'll get rubbish results comes mm -hmm. in. So there was this study ages ago that basically said that we use a thing called a bear hugger. So it's basically a giant inflatable air blanket with, with hot air and it just keeps you warm during an anesthetic mm. uh, just because you lose a lot of body heat. So someone postulated that if you turn that on, the micro vibrations that your body still feels from the air rushing will change your BIS number. Mm. And they proved it ages ago that you turn it on, BIS number rises and looks, you look like you're more awake <laughs> and then you turn it off and, right, and, and, and it goes back down again. So everyone's like, ah, this is rubbish. And look, it kind of works. as well. It'd just be basically in the way of your head clamp. Yeah. It'd be like, how validated this in <laughs> when the skull is open? <laughs> Yeah, so there's, there's a whole bunch of issues. Like, by and large, look, you use it as an extra bit of safety blanket, right? Mm. Like, uh, so not like with, just a random number generator. It does have some value. Well, it's been shown there are, like, in the niches, it does do something. Um, like, too low is dangerous, too high <laughs> is generally. But one of the interesting studies they did recently, this sounds like something that, you know, is from decades ago, uh, was up in Townsville in tropical North Queensland, just before <laughs> I got there, was um, they got... They, oh, God. 30 more seconds, 30 more seconds. It's still good. <laughs> uh, that was a timer. Uh, was that they got uh, anesthetic trainees. So this is very old school research. Mm. They um, 
took them somewhere, they kept them fasted, they put a giant tourniquet and obstructed blood flow to their one arm. <laughs> then in the other one, they stuck a cannula in, they put a bis strip on, so there's this little strip on the forehead, then they paralyzed them. Didn't give them anything else, they were wide awake. <laughs> but they were paralyzed. <laughs> Sounds like a fun study, continue. <laughs> so, but because the blood supply was cut off to one arm, mm. the muscle relaxant didn't get there, so they could move that arm. So they had trained them to do okay. a sequence of, you know, we will ask you this, do this hand signal, right? <laughs> and they could always tap out if they were getting too freaked out because they can't breathe, right? Yeah. And they had anesthetists there ready to ventilate all that stuff. So they did it and proved that once paralyzed, the bis goes down, even if they're wide awake, even if they can oh. recall everything, <laughs> even if they can do the hand signals. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> mm. um, have they tried it in any other fun settings, like people that are meditating a lot or anything like that? Uh, not yet, because I don't think they want to paralyze them. Because the main thing I'm they want to... I'm to see if you can meditate your bis number down. I reckon... Yeah, look, I mean... looking at certain A-wave stuff, like certain uh, waves I was trying to change quite a bit with deep meditation... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, it, it kind of is, look, it, it, like it sounds scary because it's like this awareness monitor and it doesn't work. Well, by and large, in all the times that I've used it, it's kind of correlated with what I expect. And it's only <laughs> one marker of awareness that we use. It's, and in fact, it's like latest one is still getting developed and with machine learning is probably going to get better rather than worse mm. because it'll probably filter out those other things like the interference from uh, because if you think about it, if you've turned off your muscles, that's a huge amount of neural output and also proprioception that's not going back into the brain mm. because you're, you know, the microsensors are kind of off. And we assume that it's only neuromuscular junction for movement, like all the receptors in your muscles that get blocked, but it probably does the opposite as well, like the feedback from like proprioception, so where your arm is in space or feeling of touch on your skin like it's probably blocking mm. a bit of that uh because we only paralyze people whilst they're asleep we don't really test to see if that gets dulled <laughs> down or not <laughs> sounds um, like you need some more anesthetic training <laughs> one of these <laughs> uh, but that was the cool thing for the day it's like a you can analyze brain functions and you know read your mind to move an arm a fake arm if you like mm. but also the uh, current Trying to read it to figure out if you're just a simple number for awake or asleep is still not quite there yet, and it gets kind of stuffed up by uh, uh, vibrating well, like a hot air blanket or or uh, being paralyzed. But you know, that's it for you. Did you know? <laughs> give them a small smell, and maybe they'll remember it. Yeah, I don't think you want them to remember that they were paralyzed. <laughs> remember that memory, ah, the fear. <laughs> But I would like to reiterate, since it is, it does scare people, that yes, in, like the risk of awareness is incredibly low. Like I think it's approaching, it's gone past one in a hundred thousand, it's probably close to one in a million, which is safer than driving your car around on any given day. Um, Sounds pretty safe. Yeah, yeah. And also because it's, it's, no one just goes, oh, the number is this, therefore... There's yeah, a like, lot of other tools you use together with it. Well, and everyone's aware of the studies, so everyone knows the limitations. So mm -hmm. this also is only valid for a paralyzed patient because a lot of the anesthetics, you don't actually paralyze the patient. Mm -hmm. So therefore, like, you could be aware, you can just move your arm and we go, hey, they're moving. We can probably... But that would never happen, right? Well, no, like in sedation, it happens quite commonly, yeah. but that's like, as in, you know... Normal. Well, it's not, like, it's normal Adjusted. in that... It's within the realm of acceptable stuff, and also people don't remember it. Like, as in, if I was having an anesthetic and I could choose, like some surgeries you can't do without paralysis. Like, mm. no one can operate on your brain because if you cough, yeah, you know, 
uh, or if someone's operating on your tummy and you cough, uh, it doesn't quite work like that, you know, or if they're operating on your heart and you try to breathe, also bad. Um, yeah, so yeah. there's some things you can't avoid it, but in most other ones, like, at the end of the day, like, it's like if you stub your toe, you don't go, oh my god, I stubbed my toe, I'm freaked out. It's more just like if you can't do anything about it. It's the emotional That's experience true. of being But powerless. what can you do about stubbing your toe? Huh? <laughs> anyway, um, so, yeah, don't get too freaked out about anesthetics and being aware because it's very, very low chance it will and we're feeling much better and our drugs are much cooler. But There you go, there's a third point for Did you know? <laughs> uh, so yeah, that was a short episode and hopefully we, you like it and we'll keep doing them or at least incorporate it into our bigger episode. Indeed. Like and subscribe and stuff. Click potatoes. <laughs> Hi, yeah, always potatoes. Is there anything else? Uh, oh, yeah, so this one was a bit delayed coming out, so next one will probably be a bit... China's yeah. back in Melbourne, so it's a bit easier to coordinate. Yeah. <laughs> There'll be more. <laughs> and I think we're past the point where, um, I think, on, on average, most uh, the podcasts don't make it till episode seven or yes. eight. Oh, we have to get to eight. Then we've definitely Beyond average. <laughs> So like, subscribe, so that we can keep talking silly stuff, and we'll try to include more cat sounds in the next one. Bye now.